Anyways, here we are. I'll give you a lesson on how to play golf, should you ever, you know, change your mind and want to do something like that. There's a principle called putting past the hole. And what that means is, you know, the putting is the small, the short game. You know, you just kind of tink the ball into the hole there. And, and, you know, if you do your probabilities correct, if you putt short, like just enough, there's a chance you can become short and not hit the hole. And then there's a chance that you could hit the hole perfectly. But then if you putt past the hole, there's a chance that you're going to go past, of course. But you could also hit the hole and go in. So statistically, you are better to putt past the hole. Are you all feeling enlightened today about... So glad you came to church. And, and what I have learned about, you know, our season, Tina and I, Pastor Tina and I's season in ministry is that, you know, we're going to do our very best to get as far as we possibly can. But can I tell you something? It is beautiful when you see somebody who started off the game a little different than I did and was willing to follow God, follow God, follow God, follow God. Even, you know, when it was what her parents, I'm sure, and what her, her uncle and aunt, it's like, are you sure you prayed that one through? That one seems like, I don't know if God would. But you know, the end result of following God and be, having, you know, a discipline, a life with God and a life to hear his word and to hear his voice and to spend time with him and to be him, this is when it pays. It may not look like it pays in the beginning if you're not really into that style of life yet. I can promise you that it pays. And investing yourself into a little bit of a season with God, spending time in worship, spending time in church, spending time in prayer, spending time with other people, in the end of the day, you, you start hearing testimonies. You know, because Julia's been having testimonies all along, but this one's a biggie. You know, if you, if you double two, you get four, then you get 16 or let's say eight, then 16, then 32, then 64. Nobody's paying any attention yet. 138, uh, 64, 128, 256. Anybody, any math students in the room? 512, starting to pay attention, right? 1,024, now it's getting real. 2,048, it's starting to, wow, this is awesome, right? You can see after a while, the same thing that happened in the beginning is still happening. Nothing has changed. It's still just doubling. But it's starting to become very visible, right? The kingdom of God is visible. It's, it's observable. And when we observe it like this, no matter where you are in the process, right? It just doubled. But it can double for you too. Do you see that? And the process, don't try to go 465,000 times the first day right? You probably, that's not even good for you, right? I told that to Alex. Why can't I just go lift 400 pounds the first day I go to the gym? Let's just get to the end. How many of you'd say, I wouldn't do that if I were you, right? You got to, you know, start, use the process, engage in the process. And that's what we're watching. And as we hear these testimonies, sometimes I, I've always been aware that testimonies sometimes can be awesome but when I was in the middle of a fight and a, and a trouble and I heard somebody else testify, I used to get mad. I remember going down to Kenneth Copeland Ministries, man. I would go down there. We would go down at least once a year, either a minister's conference or a regular conference. The first, we were there for maybe five days it was. First four and a half days, I was madder than a hornet. 
Because all they're telling me is how great it's working for them. It always works. It just isn't super observable when it's little. When two becomes four, it's the same God that made two into four, right? Same God that made four into eight is the same God that turns a million into two million. It's exactly the same thing. You see that? So what we're doing is when we're listening to these, it doesn't matter where you are in the process, say, you know what, this is the way it goes. You're hearing not just people, you know, preaching about how good this works, but all of these, I believe, we have more, I believe in miracles, testimonies now than we have services to, pray, to play them in. Because that, you know, that was only one of the amazing things that happened over the last seven days. Because there's been some, wait till you hear some of the stuff that's been going on in people's lives. Just engage. Because the same God that does that visibly is doing stuff in your life right now, bringing you to the place where it's going to be visible too. You just got to stay in the game long enough. Just got to stay in the game long enough. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. Here we are talking about God in relationship to our, our relationship to God in its metaphor of my relationship with a covenant partner, my wife or your husband or... And it says there in verse 32, we're familiar with this, if you've been with me anyways, you're, we're talking about this scripture that is typically used in uh, marriage counseling, you know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. But it says here that this is a great mystery. I always thought the mystery was being married, which it, it is, by the way. I'm not saying it's not. There's multiple meanings here. It is a great mystery, actually, now that we are on the topic. After 39 years together, I would still tell you it is a great mystery. But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying the great mystery, it is a great mystery, this whole issue of two becoming one and the process of becoming husband and wife, great mystery. But he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what he's referring to here is that the metaphorical way of relating or understanding our relationship with Heavenly Father based on our relationship with one another. Or better still, I gotta be careful with the Trinity here, our relationship to Jesus as I would know my relationship to my spouse, Tina, or your, your, in your situation. And it was one of the things that was bothering me, and it's just an aside, I'll get to my notes in a second, one of the things that was an, a, a, a concern of mine was that most guys really super struggle with this whole concept of being married to a guy. I think that's why we lost a lot of this because guys have run the church for a very long period of time. Well, they didn't really run the church. They looked like they ran the church, actually ran by praying people who were typically Amen. not men. And so I think we lost a lot of this concept because it was kind of uncomfortable to discuss what it would feel like for a man to marry a man and for me to be submitting myself because I'm used to being the head of the home and I'm used to being the boss, the jefe. And so not awesome for me to have to take instructions from other people. I'll tell you that I'm good at it, but that would be a lie. It's also a problem. There's, a, there's a, another problem that's kind of looming somewhere here that we would say that Jesus is my brother. How many of you say, Jesus is my brother? He's my bro, right? 
So I looked at that and I said, can you, uh, how many of you can actually give me a scripture that says Jesus is my brother? Cool, I hate that. <laughs> and you're thinking through your Rolodex, and you're thinking, I don't think there is one. Right? He's the firstborn among many brethren. Right? Is that okay? I could see that there's a brethren thing going on there. But how many of you have, uh, give me a scripture that says Jesus is my brother? This is a problem. Right? Because we have concepts, we have ideas, we have stuff that works good, we have ideas that go well with the way we'd like it to be, but, which is fine. But we need to know there's a difference between having a scripture that says Jesus is my brother to just assume. I mean, I, he is a son of Adam. I mean, I'm a son of Adam, which was a son of God. He is a son of God, which makes me somewhat related. Right? He's a human being, so that makes me somewhat related. But the problem is for you girls, how many of you think it's awesome to marry your brother? <laughs> Most girls would say that that's not awesome to marry my brother. And so... Although there is, I will give you a scripture, BTW, for all of you theologians, when Jesus was, when Mary and James and Jude and a couple of other guys, his biological family were there looking for Jesus. Well, he said, who is my brother and my mother and my sisters? He did say that. And who, what was the answer? People who do the, the will of my father. They are my brothers and my mother and my brother and my sister. So he does make reference to the fact that he is our brother, but do you see there that it's contextually kind of like you're my, you're in the same army as me. You know, army guys would say that, you know, you're my bro. You go to the same church, you're my bro. That's true. It is, you, brother is used that a lot in scripture. A brother being not necessarily somebody who's biologically related to me, but somebody who's on the same team as me, right? Same army as you, maybe same tribe as you, maybe same nationality as you. And you but it's not brother, bro, you know what I'm trying to say? But there is those scriptures that says that we are joint heirs. Well, doesn't that mean that we're like father, right? Like for me to be a joint heir, like I have four, uh, two brothers, one sister, in that, in that order, uh, sort of in that order. And so we are joint heirs of my father's fortune, right? And that's how we became joint heirs. Isn't that true? So that's how we assume if we are joint heirs, we must be brothers, same family. Uh, the question becomes, is there any other way you get to be a joint heir? Is there any other way that you get to be a brother and a sister? You know, these two fellows here, they are not, they look like they are biologically brothers. Get confused, they get confused all the time, and I mean that both ways. They, <laughs> but they are not biological brothers. How many of you know they are brothers? Yeah. Do you know how they got to be brothers? They got to be brothers, excuse me? By marriage. Oh, let's take a moment here. <laughs> so Mike does not call me dad, as I mentioned to you before. <laughs> a little bit more familiar with the process. He calls me Ian, more comfortable for him, because he has a dad. Right, uh, around. Danielle, wherever, is Danielle in here? Will she admit to being in here? <laughs> Danielle refers to me as dad. Her dad lives far, far away from here. And so she refers to me as dad. I am, in her life, a father. Mm -hmm. Does it make any sense? Yeah. How did you get into the family of God exactly? 
Because most people say, well, the Bible says that you're Jesus' brother, sister. And that does sort of say that. But I'm going to tell you, I was expecting there to be a lot more of those references. This was ought to be a major biblical theme in order for it actually to be something that we are like, everybody's got Jesus and my homeboy t-shirts on. Bible does not say Jesus is your homeboy. The way, that I, let me put it out there for you. This is how important this teaching is. Not just that I'm teaching it, but how important it is that the way we get into the family is the same way Mike got in. Same way Danielle got in. They got married in. Isn't that interesting? It kind of makes sense then, right? It's not so awkward for you women to think you're marrying your brother. You're marrying a man who is also human. And guys, we got to deal with our stuff too, but Jesus is our head. He's a, he's, we're able to step in at this point and say, I think this whole getting married to Jesus thing is a lot more important to understanding the scriptures and the way the scriptures work. Because even, even today, Alex comes over, just takes my truck. He does let me know on his way out the door that he's taking it. It's different. Mike needs my truck. He says, Ian, can I, can I borrow your truck? This is different. Right? Mike comes and there's, no offense, there's a different, sort of different, you know, Alex is used to just coming to the fridge and eating. Right? Taking it, just gone. Right? I'm wearing his jacket today. You might be wearing something of mine today. That's how this works. We're about the same size. I'm bigger than him, as you can probably tell. But, you know, in the shoulders and the biceps and stuff, you know, I, I got him a, a little bit, you know. But Mike is, do you see how the relationship is a little bit different? Because he got married in. You see, if we go <clears throat> into the relationship with God, say, hey, zippity-doo, pray to prayer yesterday, God. Let's have the Mercedes. I'll take a white one and a black one so that I got some options. That's not the right relationship here. It's more like Mike's relationship. Well, he's got, he can take it anytime he likes, but his relationship is just kind of, we're warming up together. Right? He'll need to be married another 30 or 40 years until I really embrace him, really, you know. <laughs> I got issues. But he comes in, you see how you come in a little slower? Yeah. You don't come in like saying, okay, this is how it's going to be around here now that I'm here. Right? Olivia is like that. She's, a, she's a, in the, the family. And she just lets you know how it is going to be. <clears throat> I was on the phone yesterday. She didn't like it when I was on the phone. So she started telling me she did not like that I was on the phone. She was in the room. <laughs> What's important is that when we understand <clears throat> this is how we are coming in. We're coming in <clears throat> as, at first, the girlfriend, <clears throat> I know this may or may not work with your modern theology, but we come in to meet God as the girlfriend. Jesus is bringing us in, you know, I'm going to introduce you to my dad. How many of you girls ever been introduced to the boy's dad? That's an interesting meeting, isn't it? It's just like you just kind of flip in there and toss off your flip-flops, throw them up on the kitchen table and just say, hey. Eggs, now. Did that, is that how it went? 
That is not how it went. And I think we would understand the process better if we understood it this way. We would handle ourselves better. We would understand the phases that you are going through in our relationship to God. Now, remember that God is 100% committed to you, has been since before you even existed. He has been in his eternal way at the end of the game, which is you in heaven for a billion years or so. He is there right now. So in God's consciousness, he is already through the process. There is no backing up. He does not have anything else other than 100% covenant love for you. The question is, how do we feel about the equation? And we are stepping through this journey of getting used to the idea, getting familiar with the, co- the family, getting understanding the principles, learning the personalities, growing in our abilities, which then empower us to step in deeper when God is already a billion times deeper than us. But remember I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the re- a relationship is governed by the most shallow person in the relationship. I don't mean shallow like bad. I mean, if you think we're friends and I think we're dating and I act like we're dating, you're going to call the cops, <laughs> right? Because it has to be up at every, the, the shallowest person in the relationship governs the relationship. In our relationship to God, my journey is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper, but don't ever worry about you being deeper than God. He's in, he is highly committed to this relationship. And so here we are. The purpose of the relationship is to know each other. That's probably, it might be a bit self-evident, but a lot of people would say the purpose of my relationship to God is not to know him and be known by him. When we're in our dating process, we don't do that. We're just best foot forward. You know, everything is totally perfect. The makeup is perfect. The hair is perfect. In the dating season now where we've decided to become exclusive, now it's about really getting to know the other person. As we get to know that other person, assuming we can grow to know them better, like them better, trust them better, what we are then empowering us to do is obey them better. And you know, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus was here. This is now the New Testament. The New Testament after crucifixion, after the resurrection. I know it's in Matthew, confusing a little bit, but it is New Testament time. And Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, teach, uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all things which I have commanded you. I thought this was the age of grace when we didn't have to obey anymore wrong but obey is different God is in a terribly difficult spot because one he cannot change he's immovable so there is no compromise with God you either do it his way or you you do it your way our objective is to get more and more and more to do it his way the other but that's not really a problem the problem comes in When God loves you, wants to be in covenant with you, but he cannot change. And he cannot 
He cannot modify anything that he is, even in the slightest way. He's also, second part, not going to make you do anything. If I tell Tina to come kiss me, it doesn't mean anywhere near as much as she coming through the doors and just laying one on me. They're different. God does not want to be married to somebody who has to be married to him, who has to obey him. If he, was, if he was into that, he could have done it a totally different way. He made you an angel, and angels got to do what you say or else they are on the other team. There's no redemption. God will not change, cannot change, and will not force you to comply. That's a pretty, that's a bad spot. So the only option for God is to be able to, through this process, that'll be a main theme of what we're going to try and grasp today, because it's, if you don't understand God from this context, God seems like he is a dictatorial, evil, and cruel person. But Jesus said here, I'm going to teach them, or told the disciples, teach them to obey. When we are being taught to obey, what does that look like? You see, the problem is we have, and, and it's not wrong, but there are there's scriptures that are talking about this covenant time when it, Tina, I don't require Tina to obey me anymore. We already made all of those decisions before we were married. My job once we get married, as you will find out, is no longer to require anything of Tina, not even the smallest thing. My job is only to serve her with 100% of my being. If I took one second and said, I'd like her to serve me, that's one second of unfaithfulness. Because I already said, I'm going to give myself 100% to you and serve you with my life. I'll take a bullet for you starting now. Theoretically, that I'm doing that. Let's, <laughs> let's say, for illustration purposes only. But that's what my decision is. Where I work it out is in this dating season. And this is where, this is going to be hard for many of you to understand, when we think that the New Testament is just the season of grace, and you can do anything you like, God loves you either way. That's true. But in the season of dating, it is a season of do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And you're thinking, ah, that's Old Testament. Yeah, it is Old Testament. It is also how you learn to obey. We would all think that we are more awesome people than we are. How many of you would nudge your neighbor and say, you do think you're more awesome than you are? <laughs> the problem is, usually this is our experience. When God comes to us and says, you should be a generous person, then you say to yourself, what do you say to yourself at that point? Does anybody remember? You say, well, I already am a generous person. Regardless of how generous you are, you could think of somebody you're more generous than, and so you qualify to be a generous person. The problem is, is that when you begin to allow God to give you instructions, right? See that guy on the side of the road right there? I want you to give him whatever you have in your pocket. 
I just threw a honey in my pocket, God. I don't want to. I thought you said you were a generous person. And you see, what happens is when God leads us towards instructions and he requires us to do what, not requires, he invites us. He does not require. It's very, very, very big big difference. If you feel God requiring you, that's not God. That might be Ian. That might be your, you know, whatever. But God is not requiring you. He is offering you a suggestion. If you want to disobey, if you want to uh, disregard his suggestion, he's totally fine with that. God does not have a uh, ego complex. He does not have to be obeyed. He does not mess his day at all. He doesn't, have a, he doesn't go, oh, Jesus, I'm so sad now that he does not do that. God's day is always perfect. See, a lot of times, <laughs> see, it's awesome because I'm kind of doing two things at one time. I'm giving you marriage advice as well as I'm teaching you how to metaphorically relate to God better. You know, I see a lot of people, they get confused about the dinner date and the exclusive date. See, on the dinner date, you're trying to see if, he, if your date impresses you enough by the good things they do. Can I tell you, this season, it is not that. Matter of fact, if you make that, that at this season, you are in a heap of trouble. When you're dating and going to dinner, you're seeing if, they're, if they have enough high spots for you to even date them again. And this stage, you are looking for the low spots. You're looking for the things that they do when they're mad, when they're jealous, when they're overwhelmed, when they're frustrated, when somebody cuts them off, when there's one piece of pizza left. (laughs) And you're taking a good look because you need to be able to look at Uh, We'll skip to the next page a wee bit here. You need to be able to say at some point in time, for better or for richer or in sickness, I mean health and in, if you're going to say I'll do it if worse, you need to kind of get a good grip on what worse looks like. (laughs) Can I tell you something? You need to see what he does, she does to other people. Because soon, they're going to do it to you. If they treat other people rude, they're going to treat you rude. If they don't tip their waitress, they're not going to tip you. You're going to have several birthdays come and go. If they don't listen to other people, they're not going to listen to you. See, you have to be, now, okay, is that cool? Does everybody think, yeah. How many of you married saying, that is solid advice for some of these youngins that are coming up underneath me? (laughs) Yes, sir, that's solid advice. Can can I tell you something? God takes his advice in this area. When you fail, he makes a note. He don't, he don't even bother by it. He is not, he's not bothered. 
He's not sending lightning bolts. He don't call the devil and say, devil, you need to tune in up on this area right here because it's bugging me. He does not do that. But he knows you better not step over that I do line because when you step over that I do line, now I'm going to tell you what to do and you better be able to do it. And that's why we, don't we have to realize this season is a very serious season where there are some real processes that the church got to get at so that we can get, you know, yes, we just love it when Jesus comes and does miracles. That's all great. Dating Jesus, having dinner with Jesus, man, he pays. It's the bomb. But if you want to have, you want to get start getting serious, this is what God's doing. He's, he's going to try you out with stuff. Hey, I know that person spat in your face, but would you, would you love on them anyways? No. Oh, okay. We'll try that one again tomorrow. Because you'll say, you know what, would you like to do that? You know, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Because you're pretty mad at the fact that he spat in your face the first time, but you're only getting spat at because you spat last time. So how about not spitting? And soon they won't spit at you. Or you won't care. It may still spit, but you won't care. And then you say, no, I still ain't doing that, God. They are not worthy of one stinking second of my time. And God will come back tomorrow. Maybe it won't be that person spitting in your face, but someone else will. And he'll say, here's an idea. Until he can tick that one off. That's why... This is a do good, get good, do bad, get bad season. Because God needs to show us who are completely self-deluded by our own grandeur that we are not exactly 100% of what he's looking for. And when you are given the invitation to do something, God is then, uh, let's see, let me, let, me, let me make sure that you understand this. Let's say that God tells you to give away $100 and you, can, and you only have the guts to give away 10. How does God feel about that? Any ideas? He thinks it's awesome because you did the 10. He is not mad at you because you did not give the 100. The best answer though the best thing you could have possibly done. That's why God is highly committed to his answers because they are the best ones. God cannot give you less than the best answer for the situation right now and the best answer that you can actually do. He will not give you an answer that's not possible for you to do. He'll give you the best possible answer knowing what you are, what is in your heart what you can stretch yourself to do and what you have the ability to do. Does that make some sense? And that's the best answer. We don't always think it's the best answer. Do you know why? Because we think, we think we're pretty smart too. And my way looks easier and shorter. Always. That's why I choose my way. And this time is in that season when I am starting to realize as I am watching the do good, get good, do bad, get bad season, and I'm starting to realize, you know what? If I would have done what God said to do, 
it might have turned out a little bit better. You know, Tina came and asked me for a cup of tea, and I told her to go shove ducks. But I knew God said not to say that to her. He said for me to say, okay, honey, anything else you'd like? But I did not say that. And then after about two weeks, when she started talking to me again, I realized I think it might have been better to go with God's way because I can see what I did. I know what he told me. I, she didn't know what he told me. I kept that to my onesie. But I know that's what he told me to do. And now I see that would have turned out better because it sure was a heck of a long way around having to do two weeks on the couch in order to feel good about my response. I should have just, anybody got any answers? Get the cup of tea, just like God told me, right? That's why it's important. That's why this season, it might seem like God is dogging you. Yeah, well, he is dogging you because he knows he's right. Better still, he knows you're wrong. At least wronger. We're always wronger than God. Because God's perfect. He's absolutely in exactness. He is perfect. Do you see what's happening here now? What if now, see what's happening in the church. Now take a look at it in a church context. We're having people come in. They're coming to God, very repentant. God, I just need you so badly because of the mess that my life is going on right now. And then we tell them, man, do whatever you like now. It's totally cool. This is a season of grace. Just figure it out. If God didn't want you to smoke up, he wouldn't have given you the desire to smoke up. <laughs> See, we're telling him the wrong stuff. It's fine. God, God didn't make that stuff. I, I, I'm a little ticked off about it, but he did. He made asphalt too, but didn't mean I should eat it. <laughs> That's a little parenthesis there for you. You see, the problem is, is that when we are coming close to God, we need to realize he's going to be super busy. He is like looking for the altar, right? He's looking to get married right now. Has been waiting for a quadrillion years to marry you. And so he's going to dog you, not because he's mad at you, because he's excited, because he wants you to speed up the process. He wants you to get in as fast as he can. He's going to show you the, 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 you know, the, he told you to do A, you did B, B turned out bad. Next time do A, maybe half of A, maybe a quarter of A, but maybe you'll step in a little bit of A and then you'll see, heck, that worked. And maybe I'll do a half of A this time. And after a little bit of a while, he's not making you do it anymore. You just figured it out because you're awesomely smart. Yes. And you can see the relationship between what you did and how it worked. And you can see, man, I'm starting, the first one takes a long time. Because you really don't know whether this thing, God thing is gonna work or not. That's why we tell you a lot of testimonies of other people. Then you can see, hey, it worked for them, maybe, I don't know, it's either a coincidence, but it's shockingly coincidental that every week there's somebody getting seriously blessed around here. I don't hear that on CNN. And so when we come along this journey, we start figuring it out. Isn't that what God's looking for? Isn't he looking for people who, they're not being forced. 
You know, Pastor Ian, don't come by every day and see whether you tithed. Sorry. To see whether you were a good person today. God is looking for people who believe in him. They have a relationship together, right? We got to go and live life together in real things, right? It's not dating. It's not, you know, up on the 14th floor in the steakhouse with God. This is in the day-to-day. And God starts working with us and working with us and working with us and showing us and showing us and showing us to the place where we start to figure it out and we're saying, you know, son of a gun, if that didn't work. I wonder if this one would work. Hey, God, I know it's in your Bible and all, but does this actually work? He goes, hey, give it a try. And then you give it a try, and it works. And what's happening to me? Does everybody see what's happening to me? I'm becoming a different person. Because God has been interacting, me, interacting with me in a way that I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to desire. I used to only come to church when they drug me. Now I want to go. I don't know what it is. I like that. They're weird and all, but I like it. And I'm getting better. And I'm learning some stuff. And it's working. My money's getting better. My relationships are getting better. I'm feeling stronger. I'm more excited. Like, who knew? That's what God's looking for. He ain't dragging anybody to the altar. He wants people at the altar that are desperate for him. Can I tell you this? How many of you would say marriage is a struggle? No, don't, 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 don't. Especially if you're married. But I'll tell you the truth. If you're going to get married soon and that somebody told you that it was not a struggle, you need to rethink it. But can I tell you something even more important? Single is a struggle. Uh, single is not a struggle. Alone. Let's not say it like that. Alone is a struggle. Isn't it? Because you got to do everything by yourself. What we're doing here is we're not picking whether God's going to make us not struggle anymore. That's what most people think. Right. A lot of young people think that today. If I could only get married and it would just be like Cinderella and we'd go off into the, you know, with the prince and it's all going to be happily ever. No, that is a fairy tale. Is it not? But most people think if I could just get married, all my problems will go away. No, you, you quadruple your problems. <laughs> Tina, excuse me. I did not quadruple mine. <laughs> Tina definitely quadrupled hers. I am a handful. We, 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 just don't give her a mic right now. This... When we are going through this journey, what God is trying to show us is that alone is a struggle. And being married is a struggle. Dating is a struggle. And being married is a struggle. There's struggle. It's everywhere is a struggle. 
You just have to decide what you want. God wants you to decide. What is it that you want? And as he moves you along this, and he real, you realize that God is going to want to turn you into a person who cares more about other people than you care about yourself. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with living a righteous life? Right? Like in my situation, I'm not coming against things. Let me, uh, um, how do I say this? Um, I am not universal. I'm just going to deal with like alcohol, substance kind of things. The... Uh, I am not against those things any more than I am against eating too much red meat. As if it's bad for you, it's bad for you, right? I'm against those things because I see them hurt people. Right. I they help some people, but you know, spend a couple days with me and you'd find out it also hurts people. Yeah. Some people can do it, some people can't. We don't know that until after the problem has made its face visible. Can I tell you something? I don't do those things because my life is being used to influence other people's lives. You see, God wants to create a life out of your life that influences other people's lives. Can I tell you something? The road narrows, yes, sir. right? Like if I decided in my in absolute foolishness, the dumbest thing I could ever do on this planet is be unfaithful to Tina, that would be bad on a whole bunch of levels. The first one would be that I would no longer have a head attached to the rest of my body, right? But how many of you know that it would affect my children, my married-ins, my grandchildren? How many of you know it would affect you, right? When God uses you, I want to be an influencer. I need fame and fortune, and I want to be the most important person. Okay. But when God uses you to influence people, you know, millstone, remember that scripture? I don't even quote it anymore because it's like, you know, I go to bed every day and wake up the next with this reality that if I'm going to be an influencer, I need to know there could be a millstone waiting for me. And so if you want to be an influencer, don't want to be an influencer when you're influencing people in as many bad ways as good ways. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So when God is moving you into these places, we always say, I want to be married to God, Ferraris, house on the beach. <laughs> if that's not all it is. And he's wanting to make sure as you are going along this road of him lifting, not if you put yourself up there, go ahead, do that. But if God puts you in a place where he's going to make you an influencer of people, he needs to know that, you know, is it going to be good for you? Because if, remember in God's eyes, God is saying, I'm going to lift you into this position of influence right here. And in his mind, he's seeing him strap a millstone around your neck. That's happening at the same time. And God's thinking, mm, let's not do that. Do you see what, can you appreciate the context of this moment in God's eyes? Why this time right now, and you can go as slow or as fast as you want to learn how to be more and more and more obedient in this season of dating to what God is asking you to do. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service. 
and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus, fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.